Amen. Okay, these lights are so bright. So if I'm squinting, it's because I'm trying to see your faces. Um, I'm going to start with prayer. And I am talking about eternity and the fasted lifestyle. To me, they're very much the same subject. Because once you touch that place of eternity, you live so differently in this age. So I'm talking about both. And I want to start with um, a word of prayer. So, Father of glory, we just come before your throne of grace once again with boldness in our spirits. And Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation to invade this room. God, I ask for reality. For there aren't enough persuasive words to convince the human soul. God, I ask that you would even awaken my own soul as I'm speaking today to the meaning and the purpose of life and what I'm doing in this age. Lord, I ask that life would enter this room, that words would not fall to the ground, but that there would be life. In the name of Jesus, amen. I think one of my biggest issues from the time I was, let's see, probably 9, 10, 11, was why do I exist? And I was a fanatic about trying to find my reason and my purpose and my point in life. I mean, it drove me crazy because I could never quite put my finger on the point. Everything that I would seem to put my hand to would end, or it was, it just seemed vain to me. And I don't know if any of you are like that, but I would wrestle in my soul with why I existed. And if I existed for a purpose, I wanted to know what that purpose was. And I wanted to have the most impact in this brief moment of life that I could possibly have. And all my life, I've had this like wrestling going on in my soul, knowing that life was frail. And I don't know how many of you have felt that urgency in your heart sometime of the frailty of life and how much little time you really have in this age to make an impact in this life and especially in the life to come. This was my life um, plague from the time I can remember. And I remember being, I was probably 16 or 17 years old and I was having one, I'm a very expressive person and I don't wrestle, um, quietly when I'm wrestling with God. Everybody knows that I'm wrestling with God. And I was pacing in my hallway one day, I remember, and I was hitting the wall and I was just in a frantic, I'm like, I'm 17 years old. I haven't changed anything. I haven't saved anybody. I'm 17 years old. The world is dying and going to hell. And I'm sitting in sundown Texas doing nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm going to die any minute. And I'm I'm doing nothing. And I can hear my sister in the background as she's going, calm down, Misty, calm down. My sister's the real calm one. And I was always the one like, what do you mean? Calm down. I'm 17 years old. I'm running out of time. And she would be, my mom would be like, you've got plenty of time. And I would go, you don't get it. I'm running out of time. So there is like this clock, this internal clock that I was born with. And I'm sure that many of you in this room were born with it. Or you wouldn't be in this, in this place. You're looking for your reason and your point. You probably have found it. That's why you're here. That you know that life is more than this. That you were made and you were created for a specific reason, for a specific destiny in this brief moment of life. Um, 
as I as I got older, the Lord, I mean, He has to work those things out in me and starting to teach me about how to rest in His presence and how to enter um, into that place of who He is. Because I, again, trying to figure out why you exist and that place of transcendence. Um, I was going to be, I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to impact the poor. I wanted to be a musician because I saw the power of music. Maybe I could reach people that way. And my heart's cry was impact, was impact. It was like this pulsating, um, rhythm inside of me, impact, impact, impact. You know, I had to do something, I had to do something and I had to do it quickly. It was like this, this horrible, wonderful, horrible, wonderful thing inside of me that drove me no matter what I did. And one day, the same day that I was pacing and I was, was frantic and the Lord stopped me and he said, who's going to change the world anyway, me or you? And I, I don't hear the Lord that clearly a lot, but I heard the word of the Lord come to my spirit and I stopped in my tracks and I was like, well, me, (laughs) of course. (laughs) I mean, I am misty. I am here to serve and change the world. And it was like a jolt in my spirit when I realized that the God of all creation had my times in his hands and that he would bring me to the fullness of my destiny in this life and in the age to come, which brought a peace inside of me. Um, The more that I wrestled with the Lord to finding the reason, the more that I came to realize that the main point of my life is the knowledge of God. And that sounds like a nice thing to say that many of us would say. In John, um, Jesus talks about eternal life. And he talks about that thing inside of you that says, what is the point? What is the reason? Why do I live? Why am I existing? Why do I breathe? And he says, if you don't know, he goes, if you are wondering why you're here on this peanut of an earth, if you are wondering why you have this 70, maybe 80 years, if you're wondering why you have breath, It is about the knowledge of me. He says the knowledge of me is eternal life. If you are hungry for eternity, dive deep into the knowledge of God. And when this started being awakened inside of me, I got a... I mean, I just got this hunger, this tenacity to experience God. Now, think about this. I'm, I'm assuming most of you in this room are Christians. The majority of you, there's probably a few exceptions... And we use words like, like a friend of God, or we use words like experience God. And I don't think that we really know what we're talking about. Because we're talking about a being, a vast, uncontainable, undefinable, outside of time being that we so flippantly talk about called God. I mean, we're talking about before time began, he was This vast expanse. I mean, you can't get outside of him. You could go to the very edge of the edge of the edge and still God is there. He is undefinable. He hasn't, he just is. I mean, I just blow, I just love to just sit and think about God. And this is eternal life to know this being. And I was thinking about how can I encounter God? And if there is a God, and my destiny in this life is to know him and to experience him, then what is the way? How do, you, how do you know him? How do you know this being that you can't see, yet you believe? How do you enter into the eternal life, the knowledge of God? So I decided to fast. 
And so I was, again, I was 17. I'm in a little tiny town called Sundown, Texas. Very boring. It was very much like a Mayberry kind of town. I homeschooled. I didn't have a lot of um, activity going on in my life. So I decided to go on a fast. It was my first fast. And I was going to go seven days, no food. And I was going to be super noble and do all the milkshakes and all the tomato soup I wanted. But I was fasting, and that was all that mattered. So I would fast, and this is what I did. Because I, I, I wanted to know and experience God for myself. And I was reading, like, the book of Exodus, and I was reading the book of Acts. I would just sit and read it for hours because something had gripped my heart that said my destiny was to know this being who called Moses a friend. And so I would read it, and I, again, I had such a wrestling in my own soul, I would read it and I would be, I would like throw my Bible across the room and I would go, you're Moses's friend. Why aren't you my friend? I wanted him to come and stand in front of me, like right here. Help my unbelief. I wanted to enter into the knowledge of God through what I saw in the book of Exodus. And I believe he's going to encounter us in those ways. But in the meantime, I'm doing this fast. And I'm, I'm, every day I would lay down on the couch and I would be my dramatic self. And I would say, here I am, thy servant, Misty. The one that is going to change the world in my, under my breath, I would say this. Of course, I wouldn't tell him that as if he didn't know. <laughs> and I would say, I, here I am, your next Joan of Arc. Here I am, give me the word, come stand in front of me and I will do your bidding speak. And I would lay there with my milkshake, you know, all dramatically. And the Lord would speak to me. And he said, and again, I'm telling you like the three times that the Lord of the Lord has come to my spirit. I'm telling them all to you. So it's not like a common occurrence. And he said, I love you. And I said, I got up and I, I like, jumped up and I was like, Ugh! I go, I could have made that up myself. Of course you love us. Everybody knows that God loves people. I'm like, tell me something I don't know. Like, tell me who the next president's going to be. Like, tell me something that I can do. Give me some kind of powerful insight. Come and anoint me to like transcend and, and do something powerful. You love me? I mean, come on. I could have come up with that. I knew there wasn't a God and I just walked away. I knew it. He doesn't talk. I knew it. And the next day, I just, but I kept fasting. And I go, okay, I'm going to do this because my life is going to be over if I don't touch God. I couldn't, there was nothing else. Like, if I don't encounter God, then I wanted to die. I just, I thought, if there is no point and there is no reason to my existence, if I can't touch something eternal, if there's not a God and He doesn't want to interact with me, then I might as well just jump off a bridge because I can't come up with a reason or a point. So I was determined. There was a determination in my soul. I go, I, I, I was wrestling with unbelief and, and just going, I don't even know if I believe in you. And, and, and if I believe in you, do you really speak? And you're just telling me that you love me. Of course you love me. Yeah, I made that up. You know what I mean? So I went on the, the next day and there I am again. And this time I'm really kind of mad. And I laid on the couch and I'm going, okay, it's been two days. I think I'm all week, you know, two days on milkshakes and I'm faint with love. And I'm laying on the couch and I'm like, okay, God, here I am again. I am persevering, though you tarry. (laughs) I'm like, though you won't really come. I don't know why you don't just come. You're Moses' friend. I gave him the whole spill again. And he spoke clearly to my soul. He said, I love you. I was so mad. I was so mad. 
I was like, that, that's it. It's over. There is no God. He doesn't speak. And my life is over. But I kept fasting. And the next day, I didn't even do the whole, here I am, speak to me thing. I was like, he's not going to do it. I'm just going to keep fasting. Just, just, I go, I don't know what else to do. I'm stuck. Either I'm going to die because I can't find my reason, or he's going to encounter me. By the third day, or the fourth day of my fast, and this was pretty, you know, traumatic for a um, 17-year-old who had never fasted before. I mean, going four days without any food at all was like a big deal. So by the fourth day, I'm like, I'm so frustrated. I'm, I'm going, I, I'm wrestling with my unbelief and my own soul of I finally found my reason, but now my reason won't talk to me. I found my, my whole point and it is existent in my existence is encountering this God, but yet he's so far away. And I don't even, my own human reasoning cannot comprehend him. I mean, this is my destiny to know a mystery, to know someone who's clothed in dark clouds that I can't even enter. This is my destiny. I'm like, <laughs> This is it. And so by the fourth day, I'm there and I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, and I'm reading, still, I'm reading Genesis, I'm reading Exodus, I'm just reading the Bible because that's the one thing I could feel was the Bible. And I'm reading and I go, Lord, I want, I want you to speak to my heart and whatever you say, whatever you say, I will be satisfied with. And I heard the Lord say, I love you. And I said, fine. Fine then. I love you too. Fine. <laughs> I'm like, we're just going to go with this thing because if I don't, I'm going to die. So I said, fine. I love you too. And I heard the Lord say, are you satisfied with my love? And that phrase went through my spirit. Are you satisfied with my love? And the knowledge of God leads to the love of God. And Jesus said it all in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. He says, if you know me and if you abide in me, you will love. And the knowledge of God, this supernatural encounter, which I believe he wants to give us way more than we're experiencing, even in the mystical realm. But I'm talking about something even different than that. Even the mystical realm, the, the dreams and the visions and the visitations and the, the interaction with the Holy Spirit that he wants to give each one of us, even that realm of the knowledge of God, if it doesn't lead you to love, then it isn't, it's, it's almost pointless. Because at the end of the day, you are going to stand before a God of burning desire and all you're going to have to give him is your heart. That's it. It says many will prophesy, many will, many will do signs and wonders in that day and stand before him. And he'll go, I never knew you. The knowledge of God leads us to love. Now, when I came, when I come to, came to that realization that the knowledge of God leads to love, and the knowledge of God is obviously extremely vast, so it's not only our little minute understanding of what love is. When I came to that understanding, again... I was annoyed because love is like a bed of roses and a bunch of pink paper. And I went, I am Joan of Arc. <laughs> I do not do roses and pink paper. <laughs> and you're telling me that my destiny, my only reason, and my only, the only reason I'm even created on this peanut of an earth is to know the uncreated one. And you're telling me that you want love, love. That is so boring. That is absolutely so 
boring. I go, don't you mean you want me to um, save the world? Don't you want me to do something? Isn't there more than just love? And he said nothing. (laughs) So I started reading more and more and more of the scriptures with the paradigm of are you satisfied with my love? And there are, there are adventures that the Lord wants to take us on. And we will do signs and wonders. And we will walk. And this is a generation that will have visions and visitations. And will see things like no other generation has ever seen. But at the end of the day, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and you are just a naked human soul before the throne of God, did you learn to love? Life is a vapor for real. Life is a vapor and you are not of this world for real. (laughs) It's not just a nice song. It's not just a nice thought. It's not an escapism just to kind of get out of, of, of responsibility. It's a reality. You are not of this world. You are going to die in about 50 years for real, maybe sooner at best. Life is a vapor. You are going to die sooner than you think you are going to face the uncreated one in your barrenness in your raw self you are going to face the uncreated one now you know that that's why you're here because you're lovers of him but what you do in this age with your heart response in love is the only thing the only thing the only thing that matters in the truest sense of the word it is the only thing that matters and I plead with my own soul I go wake up O soul within me wake up and don't chase after the wind wake up O soul within me even in the ministry we get we start chasing these the things of the wind it's just fleeting and it's passing so quickly I mean I was just 19 and then now I'm 25 just like that just like that I mean it goes so quickly why are you here to choose love you are made for the uncreated one and the one thing that he wants from you is your voluntary love your voluntary love he wants you to stand without offense and he wants you to stand in the knowledge of him in voluntary love and voluntary love will be expressed in many 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 ways and one of the number one ways That voluntary love is expressed is through pouring out your lives for your brothers and your sisters. Now, that's a very practical thing that most of us don't want to hear. I mean, it's like the kind of stuff your mom tells you when you're growing up. You know, (laughs) you should serve your brothers and sisters. You should love. And it sounds real, like, pious. You know what I mean? Like, real pious. I didn't ever want to be pious. (laughs) And there was like, but there, it is a violent a violent, a violent reaction when you go against the current of the age and you say, I will not live for myself. I will not live pursuing my own way. I will not build my own kingdom. I will not go my own way, but I will choose to go low in humility. I will serve my brother. I will serve my sister. I will lift them up and making them greater than I, knowing that in the age to come, I am storing up riches upon riches upon riches upon riches which in just a moment I will see 
It is a violent, a violent thing to stand in an age of lovelessness. It is a violent thing to stand in love before the uncreated one and say, I want to love you with all of my heart, you who I cannot see. May my life scream transcendence. There is a God. There is a God. And he has a son. And his affections are on me. And the expression of those affections in this darkened world is my life poured out. The reason why... The reason why the greatest expression of love in this age is servanthood is because he is a servant. You want the knowledge of God? Become as he is. Look at him and then do what he does. You will be flooded with the knowledge of God. You know, so often we we start, we want to pray for, make me the next evangelist. And I want healing. I mean, I have a a, um, contending in my spirit personally for the gift of healing. And for the, the apostolic lifestyle and this, the gifts of prophecy. And we, we groan and we moan and we want, we want these gifts, yet we don't want to pray for people. We don't want to, like, actually do anything. We just kind of want it to, like, drop on me. And then I don't know what I'm going to do with the gift of healing. I never really thought I had to pray for people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Having a gift of healing is like a serious, serious chain of servanthood (laughs) because it's hours of praying for people if you want the kingdom of heaven you want the power encounters that you're looking for that i'm looking for we want this realm of eternity become a servant of all it is the surest and the only way to the knowledge of god because he is a servant that is his very nature he serves he comes and he gets under the people he comes just like he did the first time he is a servant yes he is a great king but he is a great king who serves if you want the knowledge of god and you want supernatural encounter dreams and visions and healings and encounter dive deep into the love of god and express it through loving your brother and you will be flooded with the knowledge of god you will be flooded with the knowledge of god the knowledge of god always leads to love always it always leads to love because he is love if you know him he goes How can you say you love God, but you hate your brother? He goes, you're a liar and there's no truth in you. And do you know what it means to hate your brother? It doesn't mean only to be like, oh, I hate. That's not the only thing that hate means. Hate means jealousy, contention, strife. Those kind of things are birthed in a hate for your brother. Those kind of things are what led, you know, Cain to kill Abel. It was the jealousy and the contention and the strife that created a hate in his heart. When you're living your life and you're striving and you're full of jealousies and contentions and strife, which all of us are to a certain extent, I I am and you are, we all have those things within us. But this is the trick. What do you do with them? When you have that sense of jealousy, that contention, that striving with your brother, what do you do with it? Do you yield to it and do you say, well, I mean, if I had what? If I had the friends that they had, then I would have got that opportunity. But I didn't and I am the victim. No. You do something different with it. You serve the person that you're jealous of. You go and you pour out your life and you make them great. When somebody comes and takes something from you, like say you wrote a great song, someone else takes it and puts their name on it. Now that's pretty wrong, right? What do you do? You turn the other cheek. And when you, how many of you have read Matthew 5, 6, and 7? The Sermon on the Mount. Christianity 101. I, I recommend that we read it every single day, every single day, every single day. 
I need to read it more. He says, turn the other cheek. He says, love your neighbor. This is the way of the kingdom. Yes, we are going to do great exploits. Yes, we are a generation who will stand in a warring spirit. Yes, we are a generation who will lay hold of the things of God. But how will we do it? We will do it through the power of passion, through the power of love. It is violent, I promise you. I dare you. I dare you to set your heart to become a servant of all. I dare you in your schools and in your home to say to yourself, I'm going to become the servant of all. I dare you. And you're going to face such a, if you like a challenge and you like a thrill and you like the thing, you like things that, um, are kind of hard like I do, then I dare you to do it. I dare you to purpose in your heart to live a life of love, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and then pouring out your life for your brother. The knowledge of God always leads to, to love, which always leads to servanthood. It's, it's inevitable because he is love and he is a servant. And one of the greatest pictures of that was... Um, the widow and the mite in Luke 21, when she goes and she gives everything that she had, but though it was only something small. You may not have a great sphere of influence. You may never be on a microphone. You might. It's kind of not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all the same. You know, when you look over your shoulder when we're in eternity and we're looking back at the peanut of an earth, the rich man and the poor man kind of look the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? From a dist- from when you're looking from eternity's perspective, it's all kind of the same. The really cool guy looks a lot like the really dork guy. They, I mean, they all just look the same. And there's a great equalizer called eternity. And it doesn't matter what sphere you might have or what... what um, hand you've been dealt, so to speak. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. If you're, you're par- you have a horrible home life and you have, um, you have all of these issues that you're trying to work through, you, nobody's, nobody's mentoring you. Nobody's going to bring you to the fullness of who you are. You have all of these things that you're facing and nobody's really there to help you. Those things are not, not going to limit you from being great in eternity. And you're going to die in a minute anyway. You may not have a great sphere in this life. You might, and you might not. It doesn't really matter. But if you don't, you can be eternally, eternally, eternally wealthy. You can be eternally great. There is an invitation that the Lord wants to give you in this hour to set your heart on a pilgrimage, not of this world. Set your heart on a pilgrimage to be great in eternity. You are going to be there in just a moment. You are going to be there in just a moment. And what you have done in love and service 